I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles um, and prepare and get yourself ready. So long turn pages to the Gospel of John and chapter 9. And then when we get there, just a few thoughts. Um, I come this morning because I don't know if you're like me. There are many times that you grapple with your faith. Um, you grapple with the routineness of the Christian life and sometimes even coming to church and seeking to worship God. Um, I don't know. There are times when I just sit and think, are you even alive? <laughs> um, and then other times I'm just uh, really warmed and filled with excitement um, that if I sing a song and I almost feel like crying, I'm just excited and thrilled about God. But I wanted to just stop on that aspect of those times, those moments when the heart is dull and not as sharp as it should be. So I come this morning to preach. And I wish that as a preacher that I could say to you, every time I get into the pulpit, it's with, with this great sense of excitement and my heart is just filled with the love of Christ. Um, as they say, Yarnia. There are times, and uh, I think today I wanted to try and challenge us out of that mundaneness of our Christian walk with Christ. You know, to call us to ignite the flame that is within us and to find the joy and the ability to worship God. So when we come to this season, as we wrap it all around the Christmas theme, and as we think about Christmas, we, we're called to this amazingly marvelous, wonderful truth of the incarnation of Christ. That God would send His Son into this world to come to us and to dwell amongst us to bring to us the message of God, to bring to us the message of salvation and fullness of life. And we celebrate that. But I don't know, you know, 68 years, well, that gives me 68 Christmases, right? Kind of, some of them are just all there or during the week or during that time I'll listen to a song or during my devotions and I'll be excited and thrilled and just to remind it again of the incarnation, the very fact that God dwells among us. And today I want us to look at that and say, whatever Christmas has meant to you, and whatever it is, however it's caused you to respond, today I want us to move a little bit deeper into the story of Jesus Christ. And as we come to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John takes us beyond the incarnation to the actual time of Christ's ministry on earth. To help us to move beyond just the incarnation to a deeper understanding of who this Jesus is and what he has come to do. And my prayer is that as you Focus on that today with me, that God would warm your heart and bring you to that place of worship. So let's just take a moment for prayer, and then I'll read our text for us this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Our dear Heavenly Father, as we bow before you today, it is to acknowledge that we are not always as worshipful as we should be. And Father, we thank you for those times when we are and our hearts are filled with joy. We ask today, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that you would incline our hearts to, to love you more, to bow down and worship you as our Lord and Savior. Father, help us to take the text that we look at today and that we would listen carefully and that our hearts would respond in appropriate ways. 
For we pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Gospel of John, chapter 9. So sit back and let me read its uh, 41 verses. Uh, uh, but the story has its own message, just listening to God's word. As he passed by, so this is just entering into a scene we're not really so concerned about before and after. He's just passing by and something happens. God orchestrates an event. So as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. And so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. And they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. And now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division amongst them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. And the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, We know that this is, not, this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this thing, said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. And therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to also become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. 
We know that this man has spoken, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Folks, I don't know what we make of that, but as we listen to that story, we're getting to the Gospel of John that is moving beyond the Incarnation and calling us as human beings to focus our attention on this man, Jesus, and the miracles that he has performed. And in the Gospel of John, this event, this story, fits within the greater scope of John's overall purpose. That everything that he is teaching has a central theme to call people to take a closer look at Jesus Christ and to draw conclusions about him. And this is what he says, that as I look at the Gospel of John and everything that he wrote, he says in verse 30 of chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other signs or miracles in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the selected ones, the ones that are pulled and chosen by God, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So he's telling us right out that everything that he's writing about is to call us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing we can have life eternal by placing our faith in Christ. So having said that as the overall theme, we can then start unpacking the Gospel of John and picking out the teachings and the different stories and the different events and ask, how does this miracle of the healing of the blind man fit into this overall theme? How does this miracle cause us to see who Jesus is and what he has done and what his purpose is? And how does this story call us to place our faith in him so that we can have everlasting life, be saved and born again and enter into the kingdom of God? So in one sense, I want us to see this specific event as one story to illustrate this call of God for us to believe in Jesus Christ. So we can look at this, these signs and this particular miracle as what we would call an apologetic, an argument in favor of, an argument seeking to prove who Jesus Christ is so that we could go to a court of law and we could present to you the realities of this miracle and say this is what proves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and proves that if you believe in him, you will have everlasting life. So it is, it is in one sense proving the reality and the ministry of Jesus Christ. But once we look at that and we say, why would we need to know that Jesus is who he says he is and that this miracle and this whole gospel proves that, 
What am I supposed to do once I've seen all the evidence? The Bible wants us to realize then we need to respond. Because it's not only an apologetic that proves these things about Christ, but then invites us to respond to these truths. So it's very much evangelistic. It's very much a call to come and believe and to place your faith and trust in Christ. So I guess at this point in time it would be appropriate for me to say that whatever happens today, if you're sitting there filled with doubt and and unbelief and you can't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He is deity, that He is God in the flesh, if you can't believe any of that, this will prove to you and put you on on the stage and say, this is the fact. Deny it and you are guilty of rejection. That's a fact. But in another sense, I want to be able to say to you, if you haven't come to know Christ, and as you look at Christ, and as you listen to his stories, and as you listen to these events, and the message that God is putting out there, that you would come, that you would hear, and that you would then bow and worship him. So I'm not sure whether you're cynic or seeking. Either way, this message will speak to you and you will either accept or reject. So as we go into this today, the the message that I want to unfold to you today is first of all, I want us to look at at, at at the basic nature of these signs that John has chosen to put before us. The nature of the miracle. Because there is a lot of confusion about what miracles are. What do they mean? What do they do? So there's this wonderful, powerful demonstration of God's power. But there's more to the miracle other than that. So we want to look at the nature of a miracle. What are miracles? What do they mean? What are they? Why are they there? Why is the story there? And then we want to look at the miracle itself. Just quickly see what happened according to this gospel. And then we stop after we've had a look at this miracle and the context of the gospel of John and then there's time for response. Just to reflect about what do you think about Jesus Christ. And then when we finish with a response, we'll have Christ come and he will stand and respond to your response. And you will hear from Christ what happens and how he evaluates and judges our response to this miracle and his ministry. Responding to those who believe and those who don't. So let's take a look at that and start off by just looking at the nature of a miracle then. And ask ourselves, what is a miracle? What is, what is happening here? When John says these things are um, now many other signs, he did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by by believing you may have eternal life. What are these signs? What does it mean? Why are they being performed? And so maybe I could just put it out there and say to you, when you study the scriptures, these are some of the thoughts that should come to mind with regards to miracles. They are signs. And like any sign, pretty straightforward, it's a miracle that points to something. It's a miracle that directs you somewhere. It's a miracle as a sign that tells you something. And these signs or miracles throughout the Bible are authenticative. They are there to say, this is from God. The message is from God. The messenger is from God. And what you see here is true. And so we want you to be able to see It validates and authenticates the ministry, the message, and the messenger itself. Isn't that exactly what we see when we go throughout the Bible? 
just to try and understand, I'm giving you some background so that before we go into this miracle, I want you to know what it is you're looking at. And a miracle or as a sign that points to God's purpose is already displayed throughout the Bible. You remember with Moses, for example, when God came and it was time for him to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt. God saw their misery and God was going to respond and act. And he was going to send a prophet, Moses, to tell them that God had a message. I'm his messenger, I have a message, and I want to deliver you, and here I'm going. Moses then turns to God and says, they won't believe me. They're going to say, you're not from God. How, how will we know? They, they, they're not going to respond. They're not going to believe that I am sent. And that what I'm offering them is really going to happen. And you remember the story as God then says to him, all right, Moses, let me try and help you come to, and here's my key, Moses, so that you can believe. He says, what is that in your hand? He says, it's a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. And he throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake, right? And he says, all right, reach out and take the serpent. And it turns back into a staff. And he says, put your hand in your cloak. Pull it out and it was leprous. I mean, we're looking at this and saying, wow, I don't know, this is, this is, what is this? Put it back in, and it was healed. Take some water in the Nile and pour it on the ground, and it turns to blood. What is this? Moses, I am sending you, and I want you to be convinced that you are my servant carrying a message of deliverance that I want the people to believe. Now, Jesus, as we think about Moses and and the similarities, Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses, that the Lord had said to Moses, God's message. And he also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. Can you see the whole point of a sign and a miracle? Is to believe what God is calling you to believe. And when they heard the Lord was concerned about them, and they had seen uh, that He had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. I just love that they believed and they worshipped, because God was revealing to them through this miracle, sending a message, a sign, a revelation. So the miracle itself was as if God was speaking, as if God was writing his scriptures, as if God was performing the miracle. It is a message from God. It's a revelation that you and I must, as we pull back the veils, see the truth of God and respond and believe. That's Moses. That's just one illustration of a of a miracle that points to the messenger as being sent by God with a deliberate message. Remember Elijah? I'm just jumping now. I'm picking out a couple of thoughts where you can say, I I remember those stories. I'm thinking, no, no, not the stories. The miracle, I remember the miracle. Do you know why that miracle was performed? It was so that you would believe that the messenger was sent from God and that the message was true. And I'm waiting on your response. Remember Elijah. Through the time of great evil with Ahab and Jezebel, you know the basic stories. I'm not going to go into great detail there. But you remember a time of real darkness. We read about that in Isaiah this morning as Kirk just read about the fact that great light had come and there was great darkness. And God was going to act. And he brought about a drought and a famine into the land. And God was going to speak to those people 
to bring them out of that darkness so that they would decide for themselves and listen carefully whether they should obey God or whether they should just reject God. What will they do? And so the miracle speaks. And God says, I want you to go, Elijah, to the land of Zarephath. And there's a woman there that will look after you. Just listen carefully to the nuance here. You go to Zarephath and there's a woman there who will look after you. And then I'm going to use you and there's going to be a ministry there that is going to help the woman and those who are willing to listen, to turn and to believe and respond to God in worship. But first you go, she's going to look after you. And I just love that. He goes knowing that this woman is now going to look after him. He finds her and she's busy picking up some sticks to cook her final meal and then die. Did you get the picture there? Elijah goes up and says, what are you doing? He says, I'm gathering sticks and I've got one, he says, bring me a cake of bread and something to drink. He's asked, you know, I always thought, that is terrible. How can you ask of this woman? What kind of chivalry is this? That you would even think about asking a woman who is taking her last meal for her and her son and say, feed me. Well, God had told him she was going to look after him. And, and he's hungry and there's famine and he's going to die, so feed me. You're supposed to look after me. I trust God. But at the same time, I want you to know that I trust you to look after me and feed me. I will take you and give you a message that God will look after you. And that bowl of oil and that little vase of flour will never run dry. Because God will look after you. And I guess you could ask, does the woman believe this? Is this, is this going to happen or not? And the story unfolds and it unpacks. A little bit later on down the scene, the woman's son dies. I mean, we're talking about heavy stuff. Famine, difficulty, struggles, death. And Elijah comes and he raises the woman's son to life. A sign. Another miracle. That isn't just, wow, you know, it's God's messenger is sending his message to bring you to your knees in worship. So he raises the son. And I just want to bring you to the conclusion of that story about this widow in Zarephath. Then, after he'd raised the son, after she'd been fed, after she's observed and looked at this sign, this message from God, from this prophet that was sent from God, she now responds. That's the point of these signs, the response. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Isn't that what we would like people to hear from Christ? That when he comes and he produces his ministry and presents it out there that we would turn around and say, now we know that your words are true. Now we know that you're sent from God. We know that you are the savior of the world. You are the light of the world and that we bow and worship. They all have a central theme to bring us to belief in what God is doing. Do you believe in what God is doing through Jesus Christ? Mount Carmel, Elijah, still out there, prophet. And I'm just going to summarize very briefly, basically. The time comes and it's time for Elijah to call all the prophets of Baal and this dramatic event of putting the sacrifice and wetting it with water and building trenches around and more water and, you know, very dramatic. You can't help but say, wow, what, what is happening here? And Elijah steps up and in his own words he says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, 
Isaac and Israel miracle, sign, whatever is going to happen now, speak through this miracle. This is a revelation from God. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, and answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. This is happening so that you know God has sent me. I am a valid prophet and that I'm calling you back to God to worship. John the Baptist in the New Testament is a lovely illustration of this whole idea of what is a miracle? What is a sign? What is happening here with the healing of the blind man? But before we do that, we, we go back to John the Baptist. And you remember there comes a time when he's in prison. And in a moment there, he's wondering about Jesus. Just like our world, people look and say, quite know what to make of Christ. Then he's on, then he's off, and then there's worship, and then there isn't. And what's going on here? John, in that moment, sends his disciples. He says, I want you to go to Jesus, and I want you to ask him, are you, and in essence, this is it, Jesus, John is in prison. Life is not cool. Um, I, th- I think he's going to die. I'm not sure how this is all going to work out, but John is asking And I guess this is an essential, critical question. Are you the Messiah? Uh, Jesus, are you the Son of God that was sent by God into this world to minister? Are you that one? And my logic would say that Jesus would say, yeah, tell him I am. And tell him, you know, life is tough in prison and I get that, but, but yes, I am the Messiah. He says that. But in so much more than just words, he gives a graphic statement and says, go tell John this. Tell him, stay around and watch and tell him what you see. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Go tell him that. Now, I don't know about you, but there's two things that I want us to focus on here. Just very briefly, I'm still presenting the nature of Miracles. After we've done this, you kind of think, oh, okay, I get it. But he says, go tell him what you see. Tell him about the miracles that authenticate and validate and support that God sent, that Jesus sent by God, that the miracles performed prove that he is authoritative, has the right to be, and that you can trust him and that you should bow down and worship. Tell him that. But it's more than that. You know, folks, there's even more to this than anything else. John the Baptist, as a prophet, should know his Bible. And if he knows his Bible, he would go back and say, so so what did Jesus say? He didn't say anything. He said, just watch. And, and, And what did you see? Well, we saw this amazing miracle. And then he connects. There should be a connection because even John was able to look back at the Old Testament, go back to the prophets. So now you have a miracle, not just a miracle, that says that Jesus was sent from God, but a miracle that also has a backdrop to it that says there's more to this. This kind of miracle, these signs that you see, were predicted by the prophet Isaiah. Wow, that's a double whammy to authenticate, to validate that Jesus was sent from God to present you truth so that you could believe and worship. 
And I can just see John sitting there thinking, wow, what, what happened? I saw all these miracles. And then Isaiah coming back to mind and listen to these verses in chapter Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1. Behold my servant, the Messiah by now, whom I uphold from God, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then in verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, for the prison, from the prisons, from prison those who sit in darkness. That's what Isaiah said about Messiah. What did you see when you saw Jesus? He did all of those things that were prophesied that says, this is the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ whom I sent. Believe him. So we say, wow, that's, that's a pretty cool background. So when we come now to the miracle itself, we're thinking, oh, now I understand what is going to happen as I look to this miracle, as I look to what's happening here today, as he looks at this particular miracle. What is this miracle saying that Jesus comes, spits in the ground, makes some mud, puts out his eyes, tells him to go and, and, and wash and comes back seeing? Wonderful miracle. Now you say, wow, with all of that background, I know that this miracle is trying to tell me what is God working at? What is the work of God? In the first couple of words, he says, this miracle here is a work of God. We could have looked at this and said, I think maybe it's just a coincidence in the first couple of verses there. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Maybe it's a doctrinal opportunity as, as he comes to the scene, sees the blind man, and they say to him, let's have a doctrinal discussion. Who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus says, I'm not here to talk to you about doctrine of sin and who sins and the consequences of sin and um, I'm just telling you that neither this man or this parent sinned because what's happening here is a sign. What's happening here is God's work. It's God's miracle, but it's God's sign. It's God's presentation of the fact that this is Jesus. He is sent, and he is the solution to your darkness and will provide light. He is all of those things to you. It's just amazing that even in the story, as you listen to this and read the miracle in itself, just the first couple of verses about how all this happens, how the emphasis is on Jesus and what is going to happen in this miracle. I, I don't know, you know, I've, I've read through commentaries after I tried to study it and did all the dig and discover principles and Try to fathom out what's with the spitting and the mud and the eyes and, and uh, go to the place called scent. And, and I read about the fact that it's all about being sent and wonderful interpretations. And I end up with my own opinion. I, I think, all right, so this is just me. There's all these commentators out there and then there's me. And this is what I think. I just want you to make sure that you know that this is God's work. But I want you to also understand that it is Jesus is the one. And I want you to notice that throughout this, the spotlight is on Jesus. So all of this drama, because it goes on several times throughout this passage, they emphasize what happened? Who did this? Jesus did this. He spat. He made mud. He put in my eyes. I washed. I could see. About three times that's repeated. I think we just want to make sure that you don't miss Jesus. That there's this man, this individual, and this 
whole event with all sorts of elaborate ideas and things happening, you can't mistake that whatever was happening was being done by Jesus to this blind man. And your question is, wow, okay, I think I can get, get to understand this. The focus is on Christ, and, and yeah, I get that now. What are we supposed to do with this Jesus? This Jesus who performed these miracles is the one that was sent by God. So we can move on now. And as we look at this sign miracle that has been performed, no doubt that it's performed by, I don't know, I don't know where he is, I don't know, but it's definitely Jesus that is performing this miracle. And as I've just given you all of this background, it's about time that I say, so what are you going to do now? This is time for response, folks. This is the time where you have to decide, what are you going to do with Jesus? What do you think? And the overall, I don't know if you've noticed through that story, the overwhelming number of verses focus on response. Four or five verses on the miracle itself. Very clearly Jesus is on the scene. And then we know he is the sent one. And now we are going to go through and tick off a whole bunch of responses. And the whole bottom line is join the queue and decide which scene you would like to enter into. What is your response? Well, as we go, and I'm going to do this rather quickly, but I don't want to minimize the importance of the focus on response to this Jesus that has performed a sign miracle that is prophesied in the Old Testament that the blind would see. He's already said, I am the light of the world. And now it's time to respond. So we come to the first response and people walk in and the neighbors, the friends, the crowd who were around there, who had walked around, had seen the blind man that was begging day in and day out. And they are responding to this as they come into this we begin to see the neighbors coming into something that's just happened. And there is this, not quite sure what's, what's gone down here. Um, don't quite know how to respond. So there's the sense of surprise, um, this sense of uncertainty, curiosity. Uh, and, and the story itself is not unpacking too much detail other than a miracle has been performed. And I think this is the blind man that can now see. Now, I'm sure he looks like him. It's just, you know, we're kind of questioning the sign. We're questioning what's happening here. Yeah, but this man can see. No, I think maybe he's just like him. I'm not, I'm not sure what to make of this at this point of time. And the blind man keeps saying, excuse me, I am the man. <laughs> this has happened. This is real. It's, it, I, I, I don't know how, but I want to tell you something. This guy... This man walked up, told me to wipe this stuff from my face, go and wash him, and I can see I am the man. Who did this to you? And he goes again and explains, it's Jesus. Well, folks, at this point in time, if we leave this scene, you're saying, can we have some more? Just to give us more understanding about how to answer these guys, what's happening uh, we don't have an awful lot in this scene, but give us more. Let's, let's fill out the responses that are coming at this point of time. So the next scene fills it out a little bit. I don't know about you, but something amazing happens, and, and you're kind of thinking, I don't know what this is all about. It's got something to do with God and the Bible. And uh, Let's go to the Pharisees. In other words, let's go to... I wouldn't say church, but I don't want you to confuse church with synagogue. But in those days, they, the church hadn't been established. So let's go to synagogue. Let's go see the leaders of the synagogue, the, the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders. Let's hear what they've got to say about this. Let them shed some light on this. Folks, I don't know about you, but there should be a sense of anticipation right now. It's kind of like saying, I hope you're in a good Bible preaching church. Because it's essential. 
We go to the Pharisees and, and their, their spiritual realm, we go to go to the Pharisees and, and we're, we're, surely they should have some answers here for us to enlighten us about this man that seems to be the real man. He really did get healed and, and it's about Jesus. What did you say about this? And John just throws it out there very insignificantly. By the time they got to the Pharisees and they knocked on the door and said, excuse me, we, we, we'd like to know more. We want you to just shed some light on this. What, what, what is this all about? While we're still busy haggling about those things, John writes us and says, oh, by the way, it was on the Sabbath day that this happened. And you think, who cares? Let's, let's ask ourselves what's going on with a miracle. But you know what's happening, don't you? Because you, you're gonna, you've seen it and you're gonna see it throughout the Gospels. The Sabbath thing is an excuse of an unbeliever who doesn't want to see the sign. So we just introduced, it was the Sabbath day. And in that, they become rather defensive and start throwing out statements like, this man can't be from, from God. Remember what I told you about the sign and the miracles? He can't be from God. God has not sent him because he's breaking the Sabbath. In other words, we now have to evaluate in our response whether we're going to go with what we believe, with our tradition, with our doctrine, with our standards, and, and now we've got to ask ourselves, this is what we believe about the Sabbath and the traditions of the law and, and everything that we stand for, and then there's this statement about Jesus. And immediately you're asked to give up everything that you believe, all the false traditions that you followed, and say, but I see the signs. I see the message that this man really was from... No. Our tradition rules. And he broke the Sabbath, and he's not from God. Violating everything that a sign says. He was sent from God. No, he wasn't. He's not from God. He breaks the Sabbath. And then they turn to the man and say, so what do you say? We're, we're kind of growing in our unbelief, making our point that we don't want to believe, we don't believe. And here's a man that says, I don't know what happened. I, I was blind, now I see, and it's this man, Jesus. And, and, and he's kind of looking at the signs and he's coming along, he's progressing in his faith. While... His spiritual leaders are growing in their unbelief. So, who do you say he is? The man says, you know, I'm grappling with this. You're saying he broke the Sabbath, he's not from God. He healed my blindness, and I'm telling you he's a prophet. Simply, I don't think there is an awful lot more that you want to read into it. He's a prophet. In other words, you say he breaks the Sabbath, he's not from God. I'm telling you, I can see, so he's from God. He's a prophet at least. Sent by God. He's like Elijah. He's like the other prophets. He's like Moses. I'm telling you this man, somehow I'm beginning to get this. He healed me, and I'm saying this man is from God. He's a prophet. Folks, greater blindness and greater sight is busy progressing and growing as we move to the next scene. Let's go and ask his mum, his mum and dad. Let's ask his parents. So in verses 18 through 23, you read about that event, that the scene where they come to the parents. And I'm, I'm just wondering what they were hoping for as they opened up there. First of all, it would be nice to go to the parents because surely they would know whether this man was in fact blind and can in fact see. His parents would know that. And about at this point of time, the skeptics are saying, this is where they're going to find out that Jesus was a fraud. Somewhere here as we grapple with the mom and dad who really know, I think we're going to find a loophole. I think we're going to find out that this is not the man. Maybe he just looks like him and I don't know, whatever. But we're going to come to grips with this. So let's go to his parents and ask them. They immediately say, they ask two essential questions. Was he blind and can he now see? And I wanted to ask you, how does he see? 
Two very simple questions. And the parents immediately turn around and say, let me tell you something, this is my son. He was born blind. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that's been born blind. I mean, their eyes are not bright and sparkling. They shriveled up and, and it's, it's tragic. And now they can say, to, if you look at his eyes, they're bright, they're sparkling, they're, they're, they're real. And they have vision. I want to tell you something. Yes, this is our son who was born blind and now he can see. And of course you say, so, so what's your response? And the Jews are standing and saying, so what do you make of it? Um, you know, how does he see? And folks, here's the tragic part of response. Well, he was blind and now he can see. That's, we won't deny that. But as to how he sees, you want our opinion. Obviously, there is an opinion that comes out there. This is where mom and dad turn around and say, I don't know about you, he was blind, but now he can see. And I'm telling you that this is a prophet. I don't know where he, maybe we don't know that he's God and the son. We don't know all of those theological details. But, but we're with, with our son. This, this is a prophet. This has got to be from God. And they can't say that. They can't say that for fear of rejection by the Jews. Folks, isn't that just so similar to us sometimes? We, we know that if we commit and make a statement about Christ, people are going to turn around and say, you're one of them and want to reject us. In our workplaces, in the world we live in, to acknowledge and say, that, no, this is Jesus sent from God to show us the way and to give us eternal life. I'm a believer. You know what that statement's going to do. People are going to reject you. And, and if you don't want to, if you've got a fear of man and you, you don't want to tolerate, you don't want to deal with those struggles of what people think, and you're not bold enough to say, I believe that this is Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world so that the blind could see. I'm not ready for that kind of commitment. Ask him yourself, rather, and let him speak as to what has actually happened here. Let him give you opinion. We don't want to give opinion because we're scared you're going to kick us out. Now, the progression of unbelief and the progression of belief is growing intense. And in this next scene in verses 24 through 34, you can read about the Pharisees. They are now ready to not just throw out their doubt and their doctrine and their thoughts and their belief and, and everybody who just follows along will follow us because we are the Pharisees, we are the religious and spiritual leaders. No, folks, it's time for church discipline. <laughs> or maybe I could just back up and say synagogue discipline. Now this is serious stuff. And the Pharisees are now no longer just throwing out opinions and thoughts and ideas. And the man is throwing out his thoughts and ideas. And they're sort of grappling with each other, causing people to think, so what do you make of this? Is this Jesus Christ? Will you bow down and worship? It's time for synagogue discipline. And now they start exerting pressure. No more questions. No more investigation. The Pharisees have met and they have decided. And now it becomes very deliberate and pointed. It intensifies and it is definitely an exerting of pressure. So for a second time, they call the man who had been blind and said to him imperative. In other words, we're not asking you anymore. We're not even giving opinions anymore. We're telling you, this is what you need to do. Give glory to God. Right? I mean, that's what we do in the synagogue. And what you, what's going on here is not giving glory to God. We're telling you that this is not, a, this is not giving, we want you to give glory to God. And to give glory to God, it's not to accept that this is Jesus sent by God to commit this miracle and call you to believe and to worship. It's not that. 
Give glory to God. We know. There's your second definition of determination and absolute statement of fact. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know how that makes you feel. But you just want to jump up. Do you want to jump up and support them? Or do you want to jump up and stand next to the man and say, you know, don't, don't give up now. Don't give up now. I, I know they're putting pressure on you and I know your parents have already succumbed to this. Uh, don't. I, I don't know what you would like for this man to do. And he simply answers and says, under all the pressure, it is very clear what's going down here. This man is a sinner, we're telling you. And you know what's going to happen if you deny this. We're going to put you out. Are you willing to be put out? Are you willing with your family to be put out? Are you willing to take your old way of life and all your cronies and your friends and the people who make up your world and for them to turn around and say, we're going to put you out. Because we know that this Christianity, we know this following of Jesus Christ is futile, it's empty, it's a waste of time. Are you willing to be put out? Can you see the process? They definitely have come to that deliberate point of view. And he says, you know, let's just get back to basics. Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. I can't deny the sign. I can't deny the message that God is sending through Jesus Christ. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone that opened the eyes of the man born blind if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I'm sorry, guys. You can put me out. You can do what you like. You can reject me. I'll lose whatever comes my way. I'll have to turn my back on my family, my friends, my work colleagues, my religion, everything. I, I, if I have to do that, I have to do because we know that this, we can do nothing about. It's from God. And they cast him out. The ultimate happens. They've made their decision, and you're obviously believing in Jesus Christ. And that's unacceptable, and they're casting out. Folks, just understand, I, it's time for response. It's time to sort of say, where do you stand with regards to who Jesus Christ is? What will you pay? or say to defend the revelation of God through this miracle that you've just listened to. But it's time for Jesus to come back onto the scene. The next scene sees Jesus finding out he knows that this man's already been kicked out. The conclusions, the line has been drawn in the sand. We have grown in our concept of the story the unbelief has been declared clearly by casting the man out. And this man has chosen and believed and stated his interest and concern about the fact that he can see and that's amazing and that he wants to give credit to this man called Jesus. This man that he knows comes from God. And on that scene with the lines clearly dividing these two groups of people, Jesus comes back onto the scene. And it's not a big story. But in those last couple of verses, Jesus in verse 35 heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, having found him, he said. Now I want you to think about, just, I, I know that this is not in the text, but I want you to think about this man. Excommunicated. He's back the people that he trusted, his spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, the synagogue group, it basically cast him out. How does he feel? What's going on in his life? The aftermath of your decision to follow Christ. The aftermath of deciding to follow Christ. 
And Jesus finds him and sits next to him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? It's a quote from Daniel, I suppose, or others would say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He answered, who is he, sir? This is not a question of, I, I don't understand anything that's gone on here. I, I, I believe all of, I know that something's here. Some, this man is from God and this has happened and, and I'm ready. Uh, who is he? I, there's a desire that wants to know. Show me Jesus so that I can embrace him. So that I might believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you've seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he responds. He said, Lord, I believe. And worshipped him. He believed and worshipped. And then Christ tells him, I've come into this world for judgment and and uh, so that those who are blind but are willing to see the signs, willing to listen to the miracle, willing to listen to what I'm saying, that this is my message, my messenger, and your response is required. It's time. But I've come, and for those who don't, I'm bringing judgment. So those who want to see will see, and those who don't will be blind. And the Pharisees kind of catch this. Now, you know, I'm, this shouldn't surprise us. I mean, the very fact that they heard, oh, oh. I mean, could you imagine coming up to the synagogue leaders, the Pharisees of the day, and Christ deliberately saying that the, those who claim to see, those who claim to have the traditional answers and the right way to God, those who claim that and reject Jesus will be blind. Excuse me, are you talking about us? And Jesus just simply says, yes. You see, those who claim to see and reject the sign, reject the miracle, reject Jesus, will go into eternity blind. But the wonderful news of Jesus Christ helping this man put it all together and finally come to conclusion, you finished observing the miracles, you finished discussing and evaluating them, and you have this high view of Jesus, and, and you, you really... You just, just, I know for me when I got to, to come to salvation, it was a case of knowing all the stuff from Sunday school, knowing all the stuff out there that I'd learned about, but having somebody say, we need to move you to what is called a faith response. What do you make of all of this? Do you really believe in the Son of Man? He believe in Jesus. He says, show him to me and I, I, I want to receive him. Just, just point him to me so that I can embrace him and believe. And to come to that place where Jesus leads him and says, it's me. They reject you. They reject me. But the sign says that I am sent from God. And that if you see the light and if you embrace me, you will have eternal life. So he leads him and he says, Lord, I believe. And he worships. So I can only close with these thoughts today. What does this miracle say to you? Do you feel like you must still first go and look for some theological answers and debates? Do you have some scientific evidence that there aren't miracles? Do you have to work through all of that doubt and concern and look for excuses? Or will you look at what's happening and start asking the right questions and saying, what is God saying? Will you submit to the revelation of God in the signs? This one miracle of the healing of the blind man is one amongst many miracles that prove that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you can have eternal life through him. So, 
Can you understand why we've got to end on that note? It's a note of response. What will you do with this Jesus that was born, came into this world to offer us good news? Now let's look at his life. Look at all the miracles. Look at all of the scriptures. Look at all of the truth. Look at John chapter 9 and let's hear from you. Let's hear from you. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to come to know the Son of God? Are you willing to surrender? I leave it with you.